Hey everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, joined in the studio by my friends Peter and Zach, and one more friend, Dean, Pastor Dean Hoffman's joining us today as we talk about uh, the fifth the fifth lesson in our series on anxiety. Guys, today we're going to talk about financial anxiety. So we've talked to, where we've we been so far, we've talked about the secret to overcoming anxiety from Philippians 4, right? The anxiety chapter. This is the most famous or most highlighted passage in Kindle, right? Which is Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. Paul, or uh, Zach, you have that one memorized, don't you? This is one you've recited many times. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and petition, thank God, all that stuff. Yep. So it's such a great picture of how to overcome anxiety and replace it with peace that only comes from God. We talked in week two about control and how control freaks handle uh, why why they're so anxious all the time and how we have to give over control to God. And then last week we talked about uh, rumination, right? We talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about rumination and how your thoughts can just kind of go crazy, which which we could all relate to. Finally, last week we talked about relational anxiety, which is also here in Philippians chapter two. So it turns out everything we've been talking about comes straight from Philippians chapter, chapter four, I mean, not chapter two. And today we're going to finish up by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, and we're going to see how this is connected to something that Paul learned about financial anxiety. So if anyone's out there who feels anxious because of their money or because of their lack thereof, then this episode is for you. And guys, we're going to unpack this, but maybe, Dean, we could start with some stats about finances and, and the reason some people might feel anxious right now. Sure, Brian. So, yeah, I mean, these last couple of years has been really tough for a lot of people, it's really starting probably during COVID, but this last year has been tough, too. So we see that in some of the stats. We look at the consumer price index. We see that there's been a significant increase in food, 11 percent. Airline fares have gone up 43 percent. Fuel oil's gone up 58 percent. So that really you know, shows us that there's reason to be stressed. And that's not even talking about 401k. It's not talking about the stock market or even our credit card debt. But when you look at those, they, they're just as troubling. When you look at the 401k plan, it's down 25% with the average person losing about $34,000. Stock has been falling. It's wiped out $9 trillion in wealth from U.S. households. And our household credit card debt is nearly $9,000 with a total of $887 billion. So that, those are some staggering numbers and gives us a reason, you know, that we might feel a little bit anxious. Yeah, I feel more anxious just hearing those statistics right now. And I know, I know Peter and Zach, you guys are in, the, uh, in an industry where I think you see this more than ever. I mean, inflation has kind of changed the game for your industries, for both of you guys, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I think uh, everyone's everyone thinks we're making a ton of money in the construction industry right now, and and really with the commodity market and what it's cost us for materials and um, supplies and labor, um, it's really been probably two of the most difficult years that I've ever built in. Mm -hmm. I would gladly go back to 2010 when maybe we were struggling to find buyers to, mm -hmm. to build homes for. Mm -hmm. um, so it it is, and it's a it's a it's a crutch that we've had to bear. And the client has had to as well, like yeah. interest rates, everything is just costing more. Okay, so 
there's the context for this passage. Now I think we're finally ready to read Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Remember, Paul's writing this. Philippians only has four chapters. It's the final chapter of or final chapter of this letter that he writes to the church in Philippi, and he says this. He says, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether with plenty or little. And here's the secret. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I, I, know, I know a lot of people know that verse. In fact, I think Tim Tebow, wasn't that the verse that Tim Tebow made famous? I think, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's interesting that the, co- the immediate context for that verse is finances. So he's actually talking about financial stress. And this is something Jesus talked about. But for Paul, these aren't just theological truths penned from some ivory tower. Remember, he was, we've said this many times, but remember that Paul was writing from prison. And throughout his life, he'd experienced some highs and lows of this financial roller coaster. So in this, in this episode today, we're going to talk about financial anxiety from sort of two ends of a spectrum. We're going to talk about it from the having too little perspective, and then we're also going to talk about it from the having too much perspective, because again, that's what Paul says there. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether I'm poor and broke, and there's nothing in my 401k, and I've got, I'm barely, I'm living paycheck to paycheck, or whether I'm doing great. He says there's a secret, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that here together. Yeah, and a few weeks ago, we talked about letting go of control in order to ease our anxiety, and I think you're going to find some underlying themes pop up as we unpack financial anxiety. Um, I know for me personally, I have struggled many years ago putting finances in the right place, but when I got to the root of it, I really lacked knowledge about God's role in my family's finances, I, I can tap right back into that control theme where control came into play with the finances. Um, things began to make more sense for me when I simply was able to put it in the context it needed to be in, which is everything I have financially does come from God. That's a hard concept to really wrap your hands around, but it was something that allowed me to start going down the path of, of getting this correct in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter, I love the simplicity of that of that concept, um, and knowing um, that ultimately it's all God's, right? It, it's none none of it is ours. But the reality is, in the in the world that we live in, and in the culture that we of folks that we are surrounded by, we are inundated daily, hourly, every minute. Look at your spam emails by the the concept and the idea of needing more things, needing more stuff, needing newer things, needing newer stuff, which um, there's finances tied to that. You know, and, and unlike Paul, as we've talked about in Philippians 4, uh, we, we, we live in a very different place than Paul was at. Um, and, and everybody, you know, I mean, all four of us could sit here and say, we've, we've eaten a meal today, mm-hmm. right? And, and we live in a, in a place where our stomachs are full and more than not, probably even overfull. Uh, but still, I think I think one way to keep our anxiety at bay regarding our finances, regarding the things that we need, regarding um, just money in general, is to truly understand that it's God's, it's not ours. It can go away tomorrow. Every dollar, every cent that we have, 
but the reality is is that that God provides that to us for um, for us to live and for us to serve others and to to serve serve Him. But it's hard to keep that mentality in check on a daily basis, for sure. Yeah, and so you know, as we think about this spectrum, then right from the people on, I think the spectrum that we can relate to is that having too much, and we're going to get there. But let's start on the other side of the spectrum that, admittedly, we probably can't as much relate to, but but Paul could, and there's plenty of this in Scripture, this problem of having too little. For those who have too little in the bank, the Bible brings us this good news, and here's the good news. It's really simple, and it's that God knows our needs. It, Paul says it like this here in Philippians 4. This time it's verse 19. He says, this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. He's talking to the church at Philippi. He's going to supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, anytime we read passages like this, it's always good to have the context. The context for this is that Paul is Paul is talking uh, a lot. A lot of this stuff he's referring to Epaphroditus, this, this messenger that the Philippians sent to bring their gift to Paul. So what had happened is, remember, Paul's in prison. The Philippians, the church at Philippi, sent a sent a message to Paul through this messenger Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus brought some, probably some food, maybe some, maybe a pillow. I mean, remember, it's not like prison like we think of now. So the community, his faith community, had had to help him out. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's actually writing the letter of Philippians as a thank you note back to the church in Philippi. He's greeting them, he's exhorting them, and but but the context for so much of this, and especially these verses here, is that the Philippians are helping Paul out, and Paul's actually telling them, hey, trust me, God's going to supply your needs just like he's supplied my needs through you. Yeah, and if there's anybody that was qualified to testify to that fact, it would be, it would be Paul. I mean, we learn from Scripture that he was multiple times shipwrecked. He had frequent journeys and dangers from river, rivers, robbers, and countrymen. He had dangers in the city, in the wilderness, on the sea. He had in, you know, labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food and cold and exposure. And yet Paul still testifies that God can take care of his needs. And, you know, he, he lived and experienced what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And we find that in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. It says, These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. That's definitely true. And just a few verses earlier, Jesus set up this advice with a powerful observation. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. But what's interesting is it doesn't end there. There's another, the ending of verse 30 is really interesting because Jesus asks a question at the end of verse 30 that really resonates for anyone that's dealing with financial anxiety, and that is, why do you have so little faith? See, the, the question really is not whether God knows our needs. 
but whether we will exercise faith and trust he knows it. This is the challenge for those who are struggling to make things meet, you know, ends meet. So, and I could hear the person, though, that's sitting here right now, maybe judging us. They're listening to this podcast judging us because we all admitted we had a meal today, right? And But they're saying, I don't know, I just lost my job, or I don't know. Whenever I read this, I do think about how that must have come across to the people in Jesus' day at the Sermon on the Mount. These were genuinely poor people 2,000 years ago, and yet Jesus really does tell them, what, what I've always been told not to say to people, which is, don't worry about it. God will take care of it. Like, it almost, it almost feels like a little bit too simple of, a, of an answer to someone. Hey, God, you're poor. You lost your job. You're out of work. You, 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 you know, think about the immigrants coming across all these people who are looking for a better life for their kids. I can't, honestly can't even put myself in their shoes. I don't even understand this. So to think about how they would read this to say, hey, God, God knows your needs. God knows your needs. But it's easy for me to say, and it's a, probably a lot harder for someone who is desperately in need to even hear that. So I guess, I guess my question is, does, is God promising here that he's going to give us what we want? If, is he promising that if we ask with faith, then he's going to give us everything that we want? Brian, I think this I think this goes back to um, you know we've said this multiple times, but um, when when Paul is is talking in Philippians four and he says do not be anxious about anything or do not worry about anything, he doesn't say don't worry at all, right? He says don't don't continue worrying mm. such that you become so anxious and you become so nervous about it. So I don't. I don't necessarily think that he says, don't worry about not having a meal, but don't worry so much about the future of not having meals that it takes over your life, mm. right? We all need to eat. We need to wear clothes in the wintertime, all of those things. So I think having that perspective is good, right? It's when, when we're talking about the worrying and the anxiousness, it's worrying and worrying constantly, right? It's not just being concerned for, you know, the next few hours. But I, I mean, we, you look at Philippians 4... You, which you read earlier, nineteen. You look at Matthew six, um, and the into the question that you ask: um, Does God promise to give us what we want? I don't see anywhere in those passages where He talks about what we want, right? And He talks about what we need. And I still think we need to redefine in our minds and in our hearts what we truly think we need, mm. right? Because in in a lot of these passages, God says. Um, he will give us what we need, but again, what we need might not be might truly be what we want, right? And and I mean, I've I've known many people who um, have been unsuccessful having children, and they've wanted for ten and fifteen years, and in their minds, uh, have needed to have children to have a family. They have not had children, right? I've I've known many people, um, several people who have who have wanted um, to have their parents alive for a longer time, but that hasn't happened. So I, I think we just re, we really need to kind of redefine and look into our hearts about how we truly define want versus need, and then not only want versus our own personal needs, but, but what God sees it sees our needs as. Yeah, and I think that's especially helpful for Americans listening to this, because again, I would, I would 
venture to guess that 99% of the people listening to this, when we think about the spectrum of people who have too little versus people who have too much, they're probably, a, it might be 50-50 people, how people would respond to that. But if you're listening to this from your car, you are not in that left-hand category. You are not in the category of people who have too little. You have too much. Now, maybe maybe you don't have as much as the person you're comparing yourself to. And this is where the wants versus needs really comes into clear focus for us is so many people in this particular arena, when it comes to clothing or or finances or material possessions, so many people have so much more than they need, genuinely so much more than they need. And, and that's, and so then that puts them into the second category, the pro, what we would call the problem of too much. It, the, these, these people who have more than they need, and because of that, they lose focus. Paul learned, he, remember this verse where he's, he talks about this in Philippians 4, this verse, he, he learned how to live with both nothing on the one end and then everything on the other end. And he's talking about being content with both. This is a faith issue, saying, I'm not going to let my circumstances determine my contentedness, whether I have too much or too little. He says, not, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He calls this the secret, the secret of living in every situation. Remember, the secret is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So his focus, kind of like what we talked about a couple weeks ago on rumination, is Quit, quit ruminating on the negative side of things, but ruminate on godly things. And, and really, we even saw, Dean, in your words earlier, what Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount, where he said these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's rumination. You're so, you, or, or Zach, to what you said, how Paul said in verse 6, don't be a worrier, right? A worrier is someone who's dominated by this. It's not to say that you're not going to pray about, hey, God, I need this provision. We need food. We need a job, whatever. But he says, if you're allowing it to dominate, it's like you've crossed over this line where now it's now it's becoming a problem. Now it's becoming financial anxiety because you're focused on that rather than focused on Christ who can give you strength and get you through those real things. And so, you know, it, it reminds me of these words in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9, which is has a little bit of a tone of um, the Lord's Prayer as well. But Proverbs 30 says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. And then this is the one we want to get to. He says, Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And here's why. He says, For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So it's kind of like what Jesus said. Pray this prayer, God... Give, give me today my daily bread, like the story of the Israelites in the desert, that God just gave them manna enough for the day to teach them to trust in him no matter what comes. Yeah, that's a really strong statement that's, that's made there. I mean, having too much can lead to denying the Lord. That, that should make us all a little bit anxious <laughs> in America. Um, you know, Jesus tells us how this can become the case. Um, in Matthew 6, he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 
And I think a lot of people probably say, I'm not enslaved to money. You know, I don't really have an issue with loving money. But I think there's probably a lot of us that would have to say that we're consumed by money, that it requires our time, it requires our energy, our attention goes to it. And so it ends up doing the same thing as of being your master. And so we just need to be aware of, aware of that and that that can cause some anxiety. You know, I, in my, my life, I, I feel very blessed. God has blessed me through the years. And I think um, this area is something that I really have to be sensitive to because if I don't want to, I don't have to exercise faith um, in, in this area of, of finance. Um, I, I could just go along and everything would be fine. So the problem with that is that Satan can use that to desensitize me from being dependent on God. And, you know, we talked earlier, I just want to say that the people that are in need, that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you're in need, there's a dependence on God. But when there's no need, we have a tendency not to depend on God. Yeah, Paul warned Timothy about this in 1 Timothy 6. He said, but people who long to be rich, remember Timothy's a pastor, so he's not just saying this to Timothy. He wants Timothy to pass this along to the wealthy people in his congregation under his care. He says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Does that sound like money's good? doesn't sound like money's good to me. But the problem isn't money, because he says in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say money is a lot. This is one of the most often misquoted verses in the Bible, because people say money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money. Money is amoral. Money isn't bad or good. Money, money isn't the problem. It's when money dominates your thinking. And remember, money can dominate your thinking if you're poor or if you're rich. This is why we read these verses in Proverbs 30 and why Jesus said, just pray for your daily bread. So the point that Paul's making to Timothy is, hey, warn your people that some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And guys, I have seen this. My wife and I talk about this quite often now because we have a lot of friends who are wealthier now. And I've seen a lot of people who for whom this is true, this pastoral advice is true. And that's why I want people to hear this today. If you're wealthy, read 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Write it down. Put it on your fridge. Let your kids see it. Let your spouse see it. Because it's, it's true that money can be a trap because it can become your God. Yeah, I think in our current culture, you look around at singers, athletes, movie stars, um, you know, we can even go into the Christian Christian churches and look at some of these pastors out there that have really allowed the pursuit of money and fame and power um, simply destroy the hearts and intentions of those people. And in the end, it's gonna it does result in serious anxiety. We see it every week on the news. We see drug addictions, families being torn apart, and we glamorize our society glamorizes these people. We look to these people as examples, and yet they have nothing focused on God and everything focused on money and power. Yeah, there, as, as you look through the New Testament, there are, there are multiple parables that Jesus goes through um, and, discusses, and discusses money. You think of the rich young ruler. Um, in, in Luke 12, there's also 
the parable of the of the rich fool um, that I was reading recently, where it's basically a, a farmer whose fields were were plentiful, and he um, he didn't have enough room in his barns to store that crop. So he said, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store that crop there. And he does that. And at the end of it, he says, now I can rest. Now I can relax. Now I can drink and be merry. Right. And, and it goes back to, you know, we've talked a little bit about this as well in, um, in previous episodes, but we talk about being anxious and, um, the possibility of Jesus coming back like amidst these conversations. And that's very prevalent in this parable as well. And, and the concept is you want to be, you want to be serving others. You want to be caring for others. You don't want to be sitting on your couch, drunk, uh, relaxing, being merry with your, um, with your storage bins full when Jesus comes back. Right. And there are two specific passages or verses in that, in that parable that, that I think, really stand out to me. And one is Luke 12, verse 34. Um, And my wife and I talk a lot about this because it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? The things that we think about and the things that we, we desire and the things that we think we need, but really we want, which really we don't need or want them at all, are a true reflection of where our heart is. Um, And I think that the anxiousness, we've talked a little bit about this as well, anxiousness we should see as a gift for us to reflect on what we're anxious about, that maybe we need to reprioritize things in our life, right? And then also Luke 12, verse 48 is, uh, to everyone who much is given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand the more, right? So I think we also need to understand that the blessings that we receive on a daily basis, be it little or be it much, are not given to us just to live a lavish lifestyle. But there's an expectation from those blessings that we are to share and we are to serve and we are to love and we are to give. Yeah, and that really leads to the to the solution to all of this, right? So if you're sitting here listening to this, wherever you put yourself on the spectrum, maybe you say, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast because I am anxious about not having enough and I can't put food on my table. Or you're listening to this and you're realizing that you're very blessed and that maybe money has become an idol for you and maybe maybe like what Paul warned Timothy it might it might kind of get in the way and ruin you and even ruin your kids wherever you are on the spectrum the practical response the way to release the grip of money on your heart is to be generous this is the this is what the bible says over and over and over again if you want to be less anxious be generous now i know for those of you who are who are struggling to put to sort of make ends meet, you're probably scratching your head saying, how, wait a second, how can I be generous? I don't have any money. And, and I would say, well, hold on. Being generous for you might mean just giving 10 bucks. You know, it's I'm not talking about everyone's giving the same amount of money. I'm just saying that generosity is the same solution for both sides of the people, because both sides of the spectrum, because I think when when you in the midst of your most desperate need when you give to god in the midst of that then you're acting in faith you know you're saying i believe that god knows my needs and i believe he's in control that i'm not that i'm not in control and i'm going to be faithful scripture says if you're faithful with little then god will trust you to be faithful with a little bit more 
And so this is really what happened in the church in Macedonia. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8. He says there, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking, he's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, I want you Corinthian believers to know what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Okay, so two different churches. There was a church in Corinth. There was a church in Macedonia. Corinth was the wealthier place. Macedonia had been really hit by a famine and by all kinds of... So Mace, the Macedonian church was, was actually poor. They were on the left end of the spectrum, and if I'm looking at too, having too little is on the left and having too much is on the right. And here's what Paul says to them in verse 2. The Macedonian church is being tested by many troubles, and they're really poor. But he says this, but they're also filled with abundant joy which is overflowed in rich generosity. And the reason he's saying this to the Corinthian church is he's trying to get them, wake them up and say, guys, you, you guys are doing better financially, and yet the, the Macedonians are the ones who are giving. And so what, he's, what Paul's explaining there is this paradox is, is that the anxi- there's no anxiety for the believers in Macedonia, even though they were, filled with, they, they were being tested with troubles and they were poor. Because look at what the verse says there, they're filled with abundant joy. How can you be anxious if you're filled with joy? So in spite of their poverty, they're filled with joy. Why? Because they were generous, even though they were poor. And that's the paradox. Yeah, and the, the real truth of the matter is that we just, we can't outgive God. I mean, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians and says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And again, if we look at Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, he says a similar thing in Luke. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you will give will determine the amount you get back. It just shouldn't be a surprise to us because, you know, in Psalms it tells us that the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. His resources are limitless. And the truth is that everything we have, we've received from him. I think we've said that a couple of times today. So it's one thing to say that you have faith in God to meet your needs, and it's actually another thing to actually exercise that belief. And I think That's what we're trying to point out also, that we need to exercise by giving generously. And when you do, you're basically saying, hey, I trust God. Now, if you give safely, I think you're still missing out on that chance to exercise faith. I think it's when you step out from your comfort zone and give more than you are comfortable with, whether you have too little or too much, each can exercise the same amount of faith in that situation. Two coins for the one may translate to $20,000 to the other. But wealthy believers definitely should carry their weight um, in the church. The proportion should be relative, and it should have a big impact on the kingdom of God. Yeah, and I, I always like to, this is how I always like to explain giving to people at my church. I say, giving should be three things. See if I can remember them. Number one, it should be regular. Now, that might, it might mean monthly. It might mean every other week, depending on, your, um, depending on maybe the way you're paid. I don't know, but you're paid regularly, probably. Now, maybe someone would say, well, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm a realtor, and I work on commission. Okay, well, you regularly, hopefully, make money. So whatever that, whatever that is, it should be tied to some sort of pattern of giving 
as opposed to being sort of just random. The opposite of regular is random. I remember years ago, I would give very randomly. I would I called myself generous, and I think I was. But before I was married, I didn't have a lot of good... As a bachelor, I didn't have a lot of good um, habits in my life in, in, this, in this particular area. And so I remember being challenged by a pastor early on, like, why don't you give? I'm like, I do give. He's like, well, not very regularly. And I, he was right. He was right. And so my wife and I sat down and we said, and we hadn't really made a budget before. They're like, we need to make a budget. Now, when you have kids, you usually, usually have to make a budget. We didn't have kids yet, but it was so helpful for us to learn this first thing is giving should be regular. And I'm, I'm going to be regular with my giving. The second thing, and this is what you're talking about, Dean, is giving should be proportionate. Now, I know that the a lot of people think that the a lot of people know about the concept of the tithe, right? Tithe is 10%. You should give 10%. People ask me all the time, is the tithe biblical? Look, is the tithe in the Bible? Yes. Are we commanded to give a tithe? No, we're not. You can't. There are four times in the New Testament where it talks about a tithe or a tenth, and not one time is it commanding us to give a tithe. Even in the Old Testament, it's a little bit unclear about the tithe. So I'm just, as a pastor, I'm just going to be, I'm going to come clean for every other pastor out there. And I'm going to say, the Bible doesn't command you to tithe. However, I think the principle of the tithe is really important. And the principle is proportion. So this is this is where it kind of comes to, we're talking about the two ends of the spectrum. We got the people who have little, the people who have a lot. Dean, you mentioned two coins for one person, 50 cents might translate to 20 grand for somebody else. So the idea is it's in proportion to what you make. And so I want, to, I want to challenge people out there who are listening to this who make good money. You should be the biggest giver in your church. It's just a math thing. You should be the biggest giver, giver in your church. You shouldn't let someone who makes 30 grand be a bigger giver than you if you make 300 grand. Now, I'm not saying you have to give 10%. I, the way we like to say it at our church is 10% is a ben- benchmark. And so shoot for the benchmark. If you don't give anything yet, then give start giving 2% and then work to work to increase to grow in the as Paul says to the Corinthians, grow in the grace of giving. So start at 2%, then get to 5%, then get to 10%, but but there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to stop at 10%. That's why I like to tell people that tithing isn't biblical. 20% is biblical. 30% is biblical. Like because what we're supposed to do is the third thing is to give sacrificially. So you give regularly, you give proportionately in proportion to your income, and then finally, it, like you're saying, Dean, it should hurt. It, you should sacrifice something. When our kids were little, sacrificial giving for us was we didn't have cable. Now, could we afford cable? Sure, we could have afforded cable, but we wanted to teach our, kid this, our kids this value. And we said, this is one of the things we're going to give up. We're not going to have a $100 cable bill every month, and instead we're going to add that to what we give to the church. And so some people out there, you might say, you might have this expectation that you get a new car every five years. Maybe that's what you sacrifice. You might have an expectation that you live in a certain kind of neighborhood. Maybe that's what you sacrifice. Maybe you just say, you know what? The home we're in is good. This is good. God has blessed us with this home. How about we increase our giving instead of increasing our mortgage? So that's what I encourage people to do. Peter, for you, how have you seen this concept of generosity and probably then God's generosity back to you. How, how have you seen it play out in your life? Yeah, I can remember about 16 years ago, we had moved to Utah, uh, no family here, didn't have a network of friends. 
Um, moved here for work, and in a short time, the company we moved here for was bought by another company. So a lot of us in management, we lost our jobs, and the new company chose to put other people in those jobs. So we hit some really hard financial times. And I just, I remember not knowing how we were going to make it. It was late in the year, and I mean, it was just, it was hard. Um, I went to work for a new company, and there was a, a gentleman who owned it. His name was Jack, and he was aware of the financial situation because he had a really good admin. This older woman and him have worked together for years, and a few weeks before Christmas, without my knowledge, um, Jack ended up taking care of a, a medical bill of mine that was in excess of $4,000. Just, I called up to make a payment on it, and they just told me it was gone. It was the craziest thing. Um, I realized it was Jack when a few weeks later he <clears throat> actually gave me some money to help pay bills that month. And then on top of that, gave me money to make sure we had a good Christmas meal and, and some, some gifts. Um, a few years later, I remember, you know, I had stayed working for Jack and was doing well. And we were just talking about that time. And I just, I just wanted to thank him again. Like I, I always felt like I had gratitude for him for what he had done. And he reminded me in a conversation that really he didn't do anything except do what God could do through him. And he was just so, he, he was just so full of humility. Um, and he just, I can just remember saying, like, you pay it forward. You're, you're going to be a really smart, successful man, and you just keep your eye on Christ— and you're going to find ways in your life that God's going to step in and he's going to use you as a vehicle to help other people. And, you know, Jack's 93, and we still connect. Um, he is just a, he's a tremendous influence in my life, and I'll be forever grateful for that lesson because it really did calm my anxiety on money. I can look back at this time when the storm was just raging, and here was this man who, through God, just chose to, to help me. And, uh, now I can look at myself and the position I'm in and what God's gifted me with, and it's so great to be able to just put my jack hat on and, and just allow God to help others through me. Yeah, and what you said, his perspective is interesting. I, this is this will help people to understand this, is if you recognize it's not your money, it's God's money, and you're just a steward of the money, to me I feel like that changes the mindset altogether because then you're not as greedy, you're not as stingy. I know my kids, my son, has an, a lot easier time spending my money than his money, right? <laughs> like, he'll be like, hey, can we go, can I buy this, can I buy this thing? I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And whenever I say that so quickly, he knows he needs to follow it up with one more question. He says, can I buy it with my money or your money? <laughs> and I know, you know, and if I say your money, he's going to think a lot harder about it, but if I say my money, he's going to go ahead and hit purchase. And I think that's how we have to see it is this is God's money. It's not ours. So if he says he wants us to be generous with it, that's awesome. So if he lets me keep 90% or 80% of my money, that's so I'm, – I'm just overwhelmed that he lets me keep that much of my money. And yet so many Christians don't look at it that way. And so as a result, they're not generous. And again, it's stealing – I think it's going to lead to, if it hasn't already, it's going to lead to anxiety because it's not, it's not right. And so, uh, Zach, how do you and Heather look at giving? I know you guys are good givers. You know, I know you give to pursue God. You give to your local church. How do you guys look at giving? Is, uh, that story is funny, Brian, because isn't, isn't parenting such a gift to us to see? I, 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 think, I think it's hard for us to understand how God 
looks at and perceives us, right? And how much he loves us. But in my eyes, parenting is such a gift to see how much we love our children and how we see things. And I, and I think about the concept of what we need versus what we want. And I think about my two-year-old in the grocery store, like crying because he wants a piece of candy or he wants a toy. And I think God probably looks at us like that a lot of times, right? When we think we need something or we want something. But um, I, it's just a good reminder um, of how much God loves us. I, I, when, I, when Heather and I think about giving, um, we think about, there's obvious, obviously fluctuations throughout the year, depending on the economy, depending on how we're doing in our jobs. But we look at giving and financially providing to organizations or to the church or to people as the first thing that we do. So no matter how life or the economy fluctuates, that affects our decisions in our budget other than our giving. So the first thing that we do is give, and then we look at how we want to help others or how we how we want to buy groceries or how we want to pay for this and for that. But the giving is never impacted by those fluctuations in life, that concept of first fruits maybe, right? And so that's one thing that's helped us focus on. Um, it's not God's mo- It's not our money. It's God's. And so we need to focus on God's kingdom as our first and foremost priority. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Because I know so many people who give only if there's enough left over at the end. And it, again, that's I understand that. And, and in this, I understand you know, from a worldly perspective how that makes sense. But, but that's not trusting God. That that is then saying I'm gonna kind of go back to go back to week two in our, our series. I'm gonna try to control this, and anything you try to control is gonna eventually lead to anxiety because you cannot control it, right? I mean, isn't that what we've learned throughout this series in anxiety? Is is that if you want to decrease your anxiety, then you need to increase your faith in the one who controls everything, whether it's your your lung, Peter, that we talked about, or your heart, Zach, or whether it's your thoughts that we've talked about throughout this series, that if you understand, or even your relationships, that I think can bring so much anxiety to people, you can't control it, you want to resolve conflict, but you can't, it drives you crazy, you want them to understand how much they hurt you, but you can't, they're not listening. There's so many things in this world that can bring anxiety. But but that's why Paul said, to, to go back to what we started with at the very beginning, Paul said, be anxious about nothing. Don't be a worrier, but in anything, give it over to God. Trust him to control it. And in the particular area of money, when we practice the spiritual discipline of giving, generously giving, depending on the one who knows our needs, then we're going to f- suddenly find this freedom from financial anxiety. And so generosity really is the the thing that releases the grip of money on our hearts, whether you have too little or too much. Now, if you want to talk about this last one or any of the lessons we've talked about throughout this series on anxiety, you can find all of it online at pursuegod.org forward slash anxious. We encourage you to sit down with your family, with a small group, or maybe one-on-one with a mentor and talk through all of these um, lessons, or even maybe even just talk about one or two of them that you feel like could really benefit another person. And we hope to see you next time for the next podcast.